I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. So it seems to me that we hear a lot about anxiety these days. And perhaps some of you are even feeling a bit of anxiety this morning as we sit here. And there's probably some reason for this. Many of you know that I'm the parent of teenagers. And I don't know that I need to say a lot more about the anxiety that that causes. Uh, We're learning to drive uh, the internet, Instagram. Um, And then I see a constant stream of studies uh, that are reporting on the increase of anxiety among our youth and our teenagers. And as a parent, that makes me even more anxious. And then this past Monday... I was catching up with news on the prior. I was catching up on news from the prior week, uh, and I was just beginning to process these horrific killings. I know you you already know about about the ten black victims in Buffalo, uh, and I just read about that. And then I read about another mass shooting at a church in Orange County, where we had several Taiwanese senior citizens who were injured or killed. So I find it's not, or it's hard not to be anxious in a world where things are moving at such a fast and furious and sometimes tragic pace, and where it seems we can't even protect our most vulnerable from harm. But as Christians, in Eastertide, celebrating the sixth Sunday of Easter, which is what we're doing today, we know that sin and pain that leads to tragic events and that fuels our anxiety doesn't have the last word. We know from the resurrection that hope and life will triumph over evil and death. As Jesus says in John, where we find our gospel reading today, now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And secure in the certainty of Christ's victory, we are to live as people of joy, as Father Jonathan preached so powerfully last week. And as Christians, we believe indeed that this is true. But when Jesus speaks of anxiety in our passage today, when he tells the disciples, do not be troubled, don't be afraid, he doesn't seem to be referring to things being made right in the end. He's reassuring them that they don't need to worry, they don't need to fear, because he will be present with them now. Through all the mess and pain of their material lives, even after his death, and even when his body is physically gone. So, the question I want to put before us today is like Jesus' disciples, we try and make our way in an anxious world in the days after his resurrection. What does it mean for Christ to be present? And how do we live in relationship with Jesus when he's not available to us in flesh and blood form? In our gospel reading today, we find Jesus, he's at the Last Supper, and he's giving what is known as his farewell discourse. And this is his final speech that he gives to his disciples before his death, and he's speaking actually to exactly this question. He's preparing his disciples for what life will be like after he's gone. And this was actually a well-established tradition in the ancient world. A man would assemble his family or his followers on the eve of his death, and he'd deliver his final instructions and a blessing. 
And you actually see this happening in the Old Testament uh, with some other figures like Moses and Joshua and Jacob. And Jesus is doing the same thing with his disciples here. But there's something extraordinary about Jesus' address. Because he's not just telling them how to carry on without him. He's not just dispensing good advice or looking back on former times. But he's actually promising that he's going to continue to be present with them, even after his death. In fact, a few verses before our reading today, Jesus tells them, I will not leave you orphaned. I am going to you. But how is this possible? How can he be present even after his death? In John 15, verse 21 from our reading today, we see what I think is the key to unlocking this. Jesus tells his disciples, they who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me and will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them or manifest myself to them, which is what we read today. Now, I don't think we should read this as some sort of quid pro quo, that if we're good and we keep Jesus' commandments, then he'll love us back. Rather, I think we see Jesus creating a new paradigm for what it means to be in relationship with him. So under the old paradigm, being present with Jesus meant physically following him around, eating with him, praying with him, laughing and living with him. But now Jesus is establishing a new paradigm where he is present with those who keep his commandments, irrespective of physical boundaries. So in other words, Jesus is breaking down the barriers of the physical world, just like he did with the resurrection, and invites all of us into his presence, not according to the laws of the natural world, but by keeping his word. So what exactly does it mean when Jesus talks about keeping his commandments? When we survey Jesus' teachings, we find not so much a list of do's and don'ts, but rather a posture of the heart toward God and toward each other. In the other gospel accounts, Jesus teaches that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And in the Gospel of John, we see this love for one another especially emphasized. Jesus commands his disciples to love one another as I have loved you. And that by your love for one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples. So under this new paradigm, we belong to Jesus. We're in relationship with him. We are witnesses to him. Not because we literally follow him around and sit at his feet like his disciples did, but because we obey his command to love one another. I think Thomas Merton, who was writing about how to be holy, how to live a life of holiness, summarized it well when he wrote that the only aesthetic method we get which Christ has given us in the Gospels is that we all should show themselves as friends by being friends of one another and by loving even their enemies. And as Father Jonathan pointed out last week, our love for one another is made possible not by our own power, but by the power of Christ working in us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in his book Life Together, 
Without Christ, we would not know the Christians around us, nor could we approach them. The way to them is blocked by one's own ego. Christ opened up the way to God and to one another. Only in Jesus Christ are we one. Only through him are we bound together. He remains the one and only mediator throughout eternity. So it's kind of like a virtuous cycle. Christ was perfect in his obedience to God's command to love one another, so much so that he laid down his life for others. And now Christ's spirit in us makes it possible for us to love one another. And where we love one, when we, where we love one another, Christ is present, helping us to love each other even more perfectly. Now, if you're having difficulty wrapping your head around this, uh, that Jesus is made present by our keeping his commandment to love, you're not alone. It wasn't easy for the disciples either. On hearing this teaching, the disciple Judas asked Jesus, how will you reveal yourself to us and not to the world? So he seems to be saying, how can you show yourself just to us without showing yourself to everyone else too? But Judas seems to be operating under the old paradigm of the physical Jesus revealing himself, this expectation of a conquering king who would ascend a worldly throne. And in response, Jesus simply repeats himself. Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will come to them and make our home with them. In other words, this is not about my physical presence. I'm doing something new, creating a new kind of kingdom based in love. It seems, though, that a lot of our world today is operating under a different paradigm. Where instead of love for one another, we find self-centeredness, suspicion, cynicism. And we see polarization on both sides as people grapple to find something to give them meaning and significance. And we hear about communities where people have to pick a side and follow the party line. And if they make a misstep or say the wrong thing, that they'll risk being cast out. These kind of communities seem like delicate pots covered in cracks. And if a feather lands on it, if there's a controversy or an unexpected crisis, then the whole thing could shatter. And then people are on edge and afraid to show them true selves. And the community gravitates towards sameness, mistaking sameness of thought for peace. But what might Jesus say to that? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. For the world gives confusion, intolerance, and fear. Jesus gives his spirit. And the fruits of his spirit are according, at least to Paul and Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When people love one another and the fruits of the spirit are abundant, a community is like a strong, sturdy vessel. We can be ourselves. We don't even have to agree on everything. 
but we also don't have to be anxious because we know that God is present because of our love for one another. And here it res, it's not our leaders, our ministry programs, our music, even our coffee, as fabulous as these things may be, but it's your love for one another made possible in Christ that brings God present and makes us strong. And what a compelling witness we could be in our fragile and hurting world as a loving community who offers God's peace. So how do we continue becoming that kind of community? Well, for one thing, we have, we have a liturgy. We have this liturgy to help us. And one of my seminary professors remarked that by the liturgy, we are repatterned and reoriented to God and to one another. So while we spend our weeks out in a fractured individualistic society, each Sunday, the liturgy gives us an imagination for what it looks like to live together in love and unity. In confession, we assume a posture of humility together, united in our acknowledgement that we are all sinners, that we are all imperfect and have hurt one another and need God's and each other's mercy and forgiveness. And when we pass the peace, we're not just saying hello. We're also engaging in a profound liturgical act where we share with one another the peace bestowed on us by the risen Christ. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. And it's also a sign of reconciliation. When we exchange the peace, we're called to examine our hearts to see if we have any hurt or resentment towards our brothers and sisters that we need to remedy. And then when we celebrate the Eucharist, when we come forward, we become one with Christ and each other in the sharing of a meal, anticipating our united and eternal worship at the throne of God and the Lamb, like we read about in Revelation today. And although we're united, we're not the same. Every week, I see our diversity as I place the host in each of your hands. I see tiny, plump baby hands, creased and calloused hands, slender hands, strong hands, and I rejoice in the beauty of our difference. Unity and difference is part of what makes us strong as we anticipate the great, diverse multitude worshiping before the throne. And in these hands we receive, in a posture of gratitude, the ultimate gift of Christ's love and his body given for us. And fed by his body, our community goes out in the world to serve and love. And what that service looks like for each of you will be different, and it has to be discerned. Doesn't mean that everyone will serve on a res service team, although I would be okay with that. And I also know that some of you have been wounded by communities and you need to tend to that. And I also know that others just find being in community at all pretty daunting and that needs tending to. And then we have beloved members of our community who simply can't be here with us physically. But you belong to our body and have a share in our work too. 
whatever your situation or state of mind is today, remember that Jesus chose to spend his final moments with his disciples, offering them a vision of the future where he would always be present. And not by their clinging to his cherished memory or retreating into their private experience of him, but by their loving one another. And as scripture teaches, perfect love casts out fear. So now I want to take a few, take a moment of silence. And I want to invite the spirit to be present to us as we imagine how we together can be a community that bears witness to the presence of Christ in the world. A community who, by our example of how we love one another, offers a vision of a new paradigm. A new way of being in the world that's full of hope, joy, and peace. In the words of our psalmist today, I pray that through us, Lord, your way will be known upon the earth, your saving health among all nations. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.